Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Will you stand with us? Let's sing My Feet Are on the Rock. Hey, thank you so much, worship team. How's everyone doing today? Good morning, Kavanaugh Church family. Y'all awake? Good. I got Jed up here with me today. He wanted to come up with Dad and do welcome with me. So wave it to everybody. Say, what's up? Woo! Tell him to wake up. Okay, yeah, he said just do it. All right. And it is so good to see everybody. We hope that you've had so far an awesome 4th of July family weekend. It, it, has anyone cooked out yet? Has anyone launched fireworks off yet? 
my neighbor started last night, and I'm ready for the next three evenings, all right? It's going to be good. But man, it is so good to be able to experience this weekend and to celebrate all that this means. We have our religious liberty, we have our freedom, and uh, we get to celebrate those things as a country. But more importantly, we get to celebrate in God's house today the spiritual freedom that Jesus has set us free in. And we are no longer bound to sin, and we have been redeemed, and we get to celebrate that this morning. So thank you so much for joining us today here at Kavanaugh Church. I'm going to invite you all to stand, and we're going to pray and ask God's anointing for our services. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and again, we're so thankful to all be here together today, God. I am so thankful for our country. I know there's not a lot of people out there that still think this, but we live in one of the greatest places right now. We're so thankful for our country and what you have blessed us with here and the freedoms that we have. But Lord, more importantly, we are so thankful for salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we so many people in this room right now can testify to your greatness and what you set them free from. And Lord, I pray many, many, many more people come to know that. There might be someone here today that needs that freedom. Lord, I pray that they see it and they hear it preached today and they experience that for themselves. We love you so much. Thank you so much for our church. Be with our pastor as he brings the word today. And let us uh, continue just to praise him and give you all that we can during worship in your name. Amen.
knock it out of the park. Don't sit down because we're going to do something else while you're standing. Some of you haven't done this since you were a kid in elementary school, but you remember it. Let's do our Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Will you join me? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen? And God bless America. Amen. Don't even sit down now because we get to worship the one who has given us freedom, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Give him a big hand, would you?
it is a time that we should be joyful, not an obligation or not drudgery. We should be excited and look forward to the opportunity that we have to walk into these doors and gather together and worship. And especially on a weekend and a holiday season like this where we are thankful for our religious freedoms. Uh, not everyone gets to do this. So think about that this morning as we sing the house of the Lord. Let's sing together.
Jesus. You've removed all the shame, all the guilt, all the stain from our past. You're for us. That means something, God, to us that you are for us and not against us. Lord, we praise you today for the love that you pour out on us, even though we don't deserve it. Help us as we come into this place, Father, and into your presence. And as we offer up our worship, God, that we just recognize afresh and anew today that it's all because of you that we have this life and that we have hope, that we have hope for eternity. Lord, we praise you. We love you, and, and we just want to um, pour up our offering of thanks and gratitude for who you are. We give you praise in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, praise team. They were, they were down five members this morning, but they did a great job, didn't they? Give them a big hand. Appreciate them and their ministry, their commitment, and their hard work. Wow. Tell you what, I, I, love, I love this country. Okay? We've drifted as a nation, but let me tell you, it's still, it's still a great thing to be an American, to live in the land and the home of the free. Angie and I spent 12 days in Israel, and uh, every day when you walked out the door, there were armed police and army people who had M16s loaded and locked and ready to go, and just the slightest thing could start a revolution and a war over there. And you you just kind of live in tension there. I'm so glad that we don't have that here yet. This is a great land. It could be better if you do your part. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. My sermon is entitled, You Can Make a Difference in This World. This world can be a better place. That happens one person at a time. And you're the one who can make a difference. So let's listen to the Word of God today. In 1776, a group of men signed their names to a radical document that would change the world. It was the Declaration of Independence. They signed that document knowing that they would probably have to give their lives because they put their name on the line. Here is what the final sentence of the Declaration of Independence says. And for the support of this declaration and with a firm reliance and the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, I don't know what you would call that, but I would call that commitment. These guys were all in. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And when I read that, I had to ask myself the question, Will, what have you committed that to in your life? Your life 
your finances, your honor. I, I had to ask the question for our church and for you. What have you guys committed that to in your life? You know, history teaches us over and over and over again that it doesn't take a whole lot of people to change the world. Only a committed few. Now, I don't make any apology in saying that I think this world and our country needs change. We really do. I wrote in my notes, we need a spiritual revival. But I want to correct that. What we really need is a spiritual revolution. In a place and time when the government is paralyzed by scandals and they are passing some of the craziest laws that you could ever imagine. And in a land where kids are killing each other at school, something is terribly wrong. But I also deeply believe that the answer is not political. You can't legislate people to be good. You can't pass a law and say, you have to behave. So the answer is not political, nor is the answer educational. I do believe education is a part of the process, but that's not the answer. No, the answer is spiritual. Because change takes place in the heart. And you can change a society one heart at a time. Let me say it like this. The heart of the problem is a problem with the human heart. We need a spiritual revival. Come on, say amen. That's what we need. And it all starts with commitment. Because let me tell you something, church. Nothing happens without commitment. Commitment is what gets the ball rolling. Commitment is what turns, turns dreams into reality. There are a whole lot of great dreamers out there, but nothing really happens until you wake up from your dream and you get to work. That's called commitments. And your commitments define your life. You are the sum total of your commitments. Now, you know I'm not a know-it-all. I don't know it all. I don't suppose to know it all. But here's what I do know. If you tell me what you're committed to, I can probably tell you the direction of your life and eventually where you're going to end up. Weak people are controlled and dominated and directed by their circumstances. Strong people are directed and determined by their commitments. So you'd better choose wisely what you're going to be committed to because that's what you're going to end up being. Now, I've been rambling. That's your chance to really say amen. amen. But there's something to this mumbo-jumbo I'm talking about. The Bible has a whole lot to say about commitment. In fact, it really is a book about commitment. The Bible says that God is always constantly looking for people that he can use. God is looking for people who will make a difference in this world. God is looking for people who can make this world a better place. But he has one requirement. And if you're going to be used by God, you've got to fall into this one requirement. What is it? Well, it's found in our key verse for today. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 9. Here's what it says. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. Right now, he's doing that. God, God sees everything. He knows everything. 
He sees every person on planet earth at this very moment. He sees every one of you in this room, all of those who are watching online, he sees you. Not only does he see you bodily, he also sees your heart. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those, in other words, in order to use those whose hearts are faithfully what? Committed to him. That is the one requirement. God is looking for people to use, but you must be fully committed to God. Now that brings up a pretty good question. What does it mean to be fully committed to Christ? And is there a difference between being partially committed or half committed or casually committed and being fully committed? Well, I believe there is. And today we're going to look at what it takes to be fully committed to God. Are you with me? I know what the problem is. You're looking at my shoes. Yeah, my red, white, and blue, they they call them bowling shoes. Can you see my bowling shoes? Let me pull up my pants so you can really see my... I I only get to wear them once a year, all right? So quit looking at my shoes and listen to the words, all right? What does it take to be fully committed? Because here's the deal. Only fully committed people are going to make a difference in this world. And if you want this world to be a better place, then you better be committed. Committed to what, preacher? Well, number one, I must fully commit my life to Jesus Christ. This is foundational. This is where it begins. Before anything else can happen, you must commit your life to God. Did you know that you were put on planet Earth in order to have a relationship with God? God made you with the capacity to know Him. Now, I've said this hundreds of times. Maybe you remember it. I'm going to say it again. God made you, and if you're a you, would you raise your hand? Yous, all of yous. Some of you aren't playing along with me. God made you with this God-shaped void in your heart. It's kind of like a puzzle. Every piece fits together to make the puzzle a picture. God made you, and one of the pieces that is missing is this God-shaped void in your heart. And the only thing that fits, Matt, in that hole is God. Now, our problem is we try to take everything that the world has to offer. I call them synthetic substitutes. And we keep cramming all of this stuff in our life so that we can be fulfilled, so that we can be happy, so that we can be satisfied. But it's just a cheap fix that doesn't last. Because nothing fits into your heart except God. And God made you with this God-shaped void. And the only way you're going to be totally happy, totally fulfilled, totally satisfied is when you put Jesus Christ in the very center of your life. So number one, I have to commit my life to Jesus. Now, this is the most important issue in your life. There are other issues that are important that you have to deal with. Most of you know these issues, like the career issue. It answers the question, what am I going to live on? And you don't get out of school very long until, you know, your parents cut that money cord off, and you got to realize, I've got to have some income. If I'm going to live and eat and pay my bills, I've got to get a job. And, and so you figure out a way to support yourself. Life isn't free. And if, if somebody tells you there's free money out there, they're lying through their teeth. 
because it costs somebody something. And you're not going to get a free ride in life, so pretty soon you've got to figure out, okay, what am I going to live on? And most people figure that out. They either get a job or they pursue a career, but, but they, they do something to make money. What am I going to live on? It's whatever you do. The second question is this one. It's an, it's an important one, too. It's that of marriage. Who am I going to live with? Am I going to get married or am I going to stay single? And if I get married, who am I going to marry? Who am I going to live with? Now, most people eventually figure that one out as well. They either stay single or they get married. Now, look at me. Read my lips. You can mess those two questions up badly. You can take the wrong job. You can pursue the wrong career and be miserable all of your working life. You can choose the wrong mate and be miserable. And I know a whole lot of people who mess those two questions up. What am I going to live on and who am I going to live with? Those will bring pain into your life if you mess them up. Now, can I just tell you something? First service people were much more respondent in that than you are. But you know it to be true, don't you? But here's the deal. Those are not eternal Yeah, it's going to cause you pain. Yeah, you're going to have misery, but you're going to get through it. You're going to work through it. It's not going to last forever. But if you miss the most important question, which is, who am I going to live for? Well, that one has eternal implications. Heaven and hell are in the balance there. So you've got to start by committing your life to Jesus Christ. You don't want to mess that one up. Who am I going to live for? Well, it's either going to be yourself or this world or the devil or Jesus. And you need to get that one right because eternity is in the balance. Now, what does it mean to commit my life to Jesus Christ? Well, it's real simple. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Now, Jesus made this pretty simple, didn't he? Nobody could ever say, oh, that's too hard to understand. Even kids get this. He said, here's what you do if you want to be saved and commit your life to me. First of all, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You believe that in your heart. Now, there's a, there's a back story to that that you've got to believe as well, that God sent his only begotten son into this world to die for your sins. And when Jesus was hung on that cross, he took all of your sins upon his own body, and his blood was shed in remission of your sins. And the only way your sins can be taken away is when you trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. But you also got to believe that they took him off of that cross and put him in a tomb for three days. But praise God, he didn't stay there. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, being victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And we believe, listen, we believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. In fact, Jesus said it plainly with his own lips, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody sees the Father except they go through me. 
So what does it mean to be saved or to commit your life to Jesus? You believe Jesus is the only way. You believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the second part of that is you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You're my Lord, Jesus. You give him your life lock, stock, and barrel. You believe it and you confess it. You invite him into your life. Now, you understand that every commitment that you make in your life has a cost to it. Every commitment has a price tag. I'm going to commit myself to lifting weights every day. Did that seven, eight years ago. You know, there's a price tag to that, David. I got to get out there and do it. And it hurts. It's hard. There's a cost. There's a price tag for every, you make a commitment to your spouse, you know what, for better or worse, I I better shut up on that deal, huh? But it also has a benefit. There is a cost and a benefit. And you've got to look at that commitment and say, okay, is the benefit worth the cost? So what does it cost to follow Jesus Christ? You might say, oh, why, why even go there? Why talk about that? Because Jesus talked about it. Jesus told several parables. He said, if, if you want to follow me, you need to know exactly what it's going to cost you. I don't want you going into this blind. I don't want you to say that I'll follow Jesus and, and the next day realize it's too hard and you give up. So here's what it costs to follow me. And Stacy, there is a cost. It's complicated, it's lengthy, but I can sum it up in one. What's it going to cost you to serve Jesus? One word, Don, everything. It's going to cost you absolutely everything. You've got to lose control of your life and give him control. Let's say your life is driving a car, and here you are in the driver's seat, you got the steering wheel, your foot's on the pedal, and it's all the way to the floor. And you're driving your own life. When you give your life to Jesus, what you're doing is letting Jesus sit in the driver's seat. He's controlling the steering. He's putting his foot on the accelerator or the brake. And you're, listen to me, you're not just getting over in the passenger seat. Because I know what people do in the passenger seat. Yeah. So we call them back seat, passenger seat. You need to get in the back seat. And if you're in the back seat, you need to get in the trunk. And let him be fully in control of your life. What you can say to him is, Lord, no longer am I going to go out for my own plans and do my own thing. My life is yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Everything I have is yours. You've just loaned it to me. The money is yours. The the wife is yours. The husband is yours. The kids are yours. The dog's yours. The job's yours. The house is yours. The boat's yours. The clothes is yours. It's all yours. You have control of my life, full control. I pray this prayer every morning. Lord, I give you everything that I have. I give you my mind and my mouth, my eyes and my ears, my hands and my feet, my heart and my will. Lord, I give you my time, my talents, and my treasures. And I just want to be used by you, God. Everything I have is yours. And you not only pray that, you flesh it out and you live that way. Why? Because you're totally committed to God. What's it going to cost you to be fully committed to him? Everything. That's the cost. So what's the benefit? Well, I wrote four down. (laughs) Number one, 
All my sins are forgiven. And I could just stop right there and it'd be worth it. Because of all the counseling that we do around here, 90% of it is helping you deal with the guilt from the mess you've made of your life. You know what I'm talking about. Every one of us in this room have made bad mistakes. We've done things we wish we hadn't have done. It's not only affected us negatively, it's affected other people negatively. And it's hard to live with that. Again, during the day, we do all these things to take our mind off of it. But when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, it all comes flooding back. And you got all of this guilt, all of this shame, all of this junk that just keeps churning up in your life. You don't know what to do with it. I tell you, it drives you crazy. But the moment you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, all the guilt is gone. He takes it away. He forgives you of everything. He wipes your slate clean. The past is forgotten. And if you keep bringing it up, that's your problem. It's not his because he gives you freedom from it. So what is the benefit? My sins are forgiven. Number two, I get power for living. What kind of power? The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. The the Bible has a word for it. It's called dynamite. It's dynamite power. And that power is now residing inside of me through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to read a card to you at the end of the service, a thank you card for for your prayers for a certain family in this church. And they say what I say all the time. I don't know how people make it through life without the Lord. I don't know how they do. You don't have strength for it. Physically, you can't make it on your own. But through Jesus Christ, one of the benefits is he gives us power for living. Boy, I wish I could say something that would get you excited. (laughs) Benefit number three I have a reason for living. I come to the realization that, you know what? God put me on planet Earth to do more than just suck up oxygen and take up space. There is a reason for me to be here. And and you talk about living life to the fullest. You can only do that when you realize what God made you for, and you're fleshing that out and doing it. And then the last benefit is the best one. When I die, I get to go to heaven. For all eternity. And that's a pretty good deal, man. So you got to settle this first issue. And I would say most of you in this room have already made this first commitment. You've committed your life to Jesus Christ. Well, praise the Lord for that. But if you haven't done that yet, let me beg you, let me implore you, you need to do that now. Don't don't wait. Don't put it off. You don't know if you're going to have another opportunity. So today, open up your life. Say, Jesus Christ, I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I'm stating with my heart, soul, mind, and strength that Jesus is Lord of my life. Do that today. Now, that's foundational. That is the first commitment. I've got three others, but I'm going to say these quicker, all right? Commitment number two, I must commit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. Well, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, here it is. My goal is to be like Jesus. Not to be like Mike, but to be like Jesus. When you become a Christian, God says, I want you to represent me in the way that you act. I want you to be a model 
of my life. And so as you grow and as you mature, God wants you to learn to act the way Jesus acted, to think the way Jesus thought, to feel about life the way he felt about life. God wants you to learn to make decisions the way Jesus made decisions. God wants you to treat other people the way Jesus treated other people. My belief and my behavior, my attitudes and my actions have to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the goal of spiritual maturity. You are to become like Jesus. God wants you to grow up and look just like Jesus. How does that happen? Well, is there a magic Jesus pill that I can take and the next morning I wake up and be this spiritual super saint? No. There's no single podcast that you can watch. There's no book you can read. There's no single conference that you can go to that's going to make you all of a sudden a super saint. There's no individual experience that's going to give you a quiver way down in your liver. Make you instantly mature. Make you never sin again. Make you never be tempted again. Doesn't happen that way. It's a process. It is a long, hard process. In fact, it's going to take you the rest of your life. The secret of becoming like Jesus is, is really pretty simple. It's hard, but it's simple. And it centers around this book. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to get into the book. This Bible has within it the mind of Christ. This Bible talks about the attitude of Christ, the actions of Christ. They're found in this book. And the more you get this book into your mind and into your heart, then the more you're going to look like and act like and talk like and be like Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something? That doesn't happen by accident. You just don't go down to the Christian bookstore and buy yourself a Bible, set it on the coffee table, and by osmosis, it drift into your life. It doesn't work that way. You can't take your Bible and put it under your pillow and then put your head on your pillow and go to sleep and it just seep through. I had a roommate in college that thought that's the way you studied for tests. It, let me tell you, it doesn't work. Do you know how you get your heart and your mind into this book? You make a commitment. It's the commitment to God's Word. I'm going to make this commitment to God's Word. I'm going to read this book every day. I'm going to become a student of the Word of God. I'm going to intake the Word of God every single day of my life because I know the end result is going to make me more like Jesus Christ. I'm going to be the model of Christ because I am taking in His Word. So I've got to dedicate myself to the Bible. Hebrews 6.1 puts it like this. Let us go on and become mature in our understanding. As strong, everybody do your muscle. Come on. As strong Christians ought to be. Proverbs 23, 12. Commit yourself to instruction. Attune your ears to hear the words 
of knowledge. So what I do, I make a commitment. I tune my ears. I soak up the Word of God. Now, we got some pretty smart people in here. Mostly. Let me ask you smart people a question. How many of you who are really smart people really believe that all the answers to life's problems and questions are found on the television? How how many of you really believe that all of the answers to your life and your life's problems can be found through Google? Or watching a YouTube? Or in a magazine? Okay, I'm being funny. I'll quit being funny. Let me ask you a serious question. How many of you really believe that all the answers to life's problems and questions can be found in this book? Come on, let me hear it. Do you believe that? Come on, really, do you believe that? So why in the world are we spending all of our time watching and reading something that we don't believe rather than reading something we do believe. If I've got all kinds of problems and the answers to my problems are right here, why am I watching a TV show that talks about it? Or why am I Googling it on the internet? That doesn't make any sense. If I've got a problem, I need to go to the source, the original instruction book. I need to find out the way Jesus thought about this problem. I need to read what Jesus said about this problem. And the Bible says that the mark of Christian maturity is that you know the Word of God. And you're living it. 1 Timothy 3.9 puts it this way. They, and that's us Christians, they must be committed to the revealed truths of the Christian faith. And they must live with a clear conscience. And the only way you're going to live with a clear conscience is when you've committed yourself to God's word. So number one, I need to be fully committed to Jesus Christ. And number two, I need to commit to the lordship of Jesus. Number three, I must commit to be a minister of his grace. You might say, oh, back up, preacher. God didn't call me to be a pastor. Well, that's not what I said. You need to be a minister of his grace. You have been called to be a minister, a minister of grace. And this is important. God put you on this earth, and he gave you certain gifts, abilities, and talents. Nobody has your DNA. Nobody is just like you. You are unique. God made you that way. And he expects you to use the stuff he gave you, the gifts, the abilities, and the talents to make this world a better place. And whenever you use your gifts, abilities, and talents unselfishly to help other people without thought of reward, that's called ministry. And every Christian is called to be a minister. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you some special abilities. Again, I'm asking for audience participation because you keep drifting on me. How many each of yous do we have? And I'm not saying ichiru, I'm saying each of you. How many each of yous? God has given each of you some special abilities. And here's the admonition. Be sure to use those to serve others. Notice it doesn't say use those to retire on 
or use those to become famous with or use those to get a big ego over. (laughs) No. He said, use those to serve others, to minister to others. So if you want to be like Jesus, here's what he said. Jesus said it this way. Your attitude must be like my attitude. Jesus is saying this. Your attitude, your mindset must be like mine. For I, the Messiah, did not come to be served. I came to serve. You want to be like Jesus? Serve other people. God expects you, if you're going to be Christ-like, to serve. Now, one day you're going to have to stand before God. I believe the big question is, he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son Jesus? And if you pass that one, good news. But I think there's going to be a second question. What did you do with all that stuff I gave you? And again, I'm not talking about money, cars, motorcycles, boats, houses, clothing, toys, golf clubs, guns, stuff like it. Sewing machines. I was saying all the guy stuff, so I I don't know girl stuff. Not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about, he's going to ask you, what would you do with the stuff I gave you? The abilities, the gifts, the talents, the knowledge. What would you do with that stuff? Did you use any of that for me? Did you use all that stuff I gave you to serve other people? Was there a day in any week you lived where you used those gifts, abilities, and talents to serve other people? Look at me. It doesn't just happen by accident. You've got to make a commitment. I am going to serve. And you've got to wake up every morning and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to bring praise, honor, and glory to your life. And Lord, I pray that you give me the ability to tell other people about you and to serve other people. Give me those opportunities and then look for them. And when he opens the door, you step through it and you do something. You've got to plan it out. You call Brother Jason, Brother Nathan, Brother Johnny, Brother Ray, Brother Devin, Miss Angie, myself, and say, hey, what kind of ministry can I get involved in? How can I become the hands and feet of Jesus at Kavanaugh Church? What is there that I can do to serve other people at our church? And then you put it on your calendar and you do it. Number four, I must commit to being a messenger of his love. And this is the last one, so hang with me. This is ultimately what's going to change the world. You share one-on-one the good news of Jesus with somebody else because our world becomes a better place one person at a time. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says it pretty good. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's a whole sermon right there. God sent Jesus to this world to die on the cross so that you and I could have a relationship with the Father. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to others. Remarkable. Did did you know that if you're a Christian, you are an ambassador? We say, preacher, I don't even know what that is. Well, an ambassador is somebody who represents somebody else. And the Bible says when you become a believer, you become Jesus' ambassador. 
You're representing Jesus to other people. Let me say it like this. You are the only Bible some people are ever going to read. You are the only Christian some people are ever going to know or see or talk to. I told the first service, there's a lady, her and her husband own a business in town. I've, I've known her when, since she was a young girl, 25 years I've known this girl. And I went into their place of business some time ago, it's been several years ago, and I walked in the door, and here's what she said. She said, there's my favorite preacher. She was wanting to sell me something. <laughs> and I don't know why I said it, but it just came out of my mouth. I said, I, I called her by name, I said, I'm the only preacher you know. And she laughed and said, you're right. And Jason, it hit me. I am the only preacher. I may be the only Christian she knows. Because I know she doesn't go to church. She doesn't believe in God. She doesn't live for the Lord. I may be the only Christian this girl ever knows. So what is she seeing about Jesus in my life? What am I saying to her about Jesus? Let me tell you, the world is hungry to hear about Jesus. And you may be the only Jesus that they have contact with. You need to be living your life right, and you need to be telling others about Jesus. Let let me ask you another question to bring this together. What's the best news you've ever heard? The best news you've ever heard. I can tell you the best news I've ever heard is that everything I've ever done wrong can be completely forgiven and taken away. Every mistake I've ever made can be dealt with. That I have a reason for being here. There's this plan in the universe for my life. And there's somebody who loves me more than I can ever fathom. And he's the one who made me. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he still loves me. And he wants to have a friendship and relationship with me. And he's saying to me, Will, I care about you. I love you. I'm going to be there in the good days and bad days. When everybody else closes the door and forsakes you, I'm still going to be there. When you have hard times and your world is crumbling and falling apart and you don't have the answers to life, you can come to me. I'll give you the strength you need. When your loved ones pass away and there's that emptiness and that void in your heart, I will be there because I am a father to the fatherless. And most of all, Will, when you breathe your last breath, you can come up and live with me in heaven. I've got a mansion with your name on it. Golden streets you can trot down. Shooting targets you'll never miss. The list goes, that's the greatest news I've ever heard. You know what? The world is dying to hear that. I I honestly believe this. The world is far more ready to receive that news than we are ready to share that news. People need to know that. That You have friends and family members, neighbors, co-workers. They need to hear this message that Jesus loves them, that he has a plan for their life, that he can save them and change them and give them a hope for heaven. You know what? You don't have to be a theologian to tell them that. It's simple. Just open your mouth. God will give you the words. Even kids can do it. 
so you can. I love my country, Danny Shue. I love this place. I love America. I love Fort Smith, Arkansas. I'd rather live here than any place else. I'm thinking of Texas right now, but no. <laughs> I'd rather live here because you're here, and I love this place. I, I, I know this world is messed up. I know America's going down the tube. I know we've gotten off the solid rock that we were built on. I know that. But there's still hope. This can be a better place. I love my little grandbabies. They love Poe, don't they? How many times a day do you hear Poe? A thousand times a day. We want to see Poe. See Poe. I love those babies. I want this world to be a better place for them. And it can be. One person at a time. But for that to happen, you've got to be committed. It's only going to happen through you. You've got to commit your life to Jesus. Lock, stock, and barrel. Give him 100%. You need to commit to the lordship of Jesus. You need to be like Jesus. You need to be a minister of his grace and a messenger of his love. And if you make that commitment, let me tell you, your world is going to get better. Your family's going to get better. Your neighborhood's going to get better. Your school's going to get better. Fort Smith, the River Valley's going to get better. Arkansas will get better. The world will get better. But it starts with you. Now, I don't know where you are in this level of commitment. But wherever you are, let's take it up a step. Right now today, let's take it up a notch. We do that by coming and committing everything to him, taking our hands off the steering wheel and letting Jesus drive. Heavenly Father, I pray that that would happen in this room and in our hearts. Lord, for the people here today who've never accepted Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today they would make that decision, that they would be saved. Lord, for the rest of us, may we just really nail it down and firmly commit ourselves to you. Lord, help us to take it up a notch or take the next step in our commitment to you. There are some things that we're trying to control in our own life. Help us to lay those things on the altar today, fully commit to you. And Lord, help us all to respond to this. Help us all to make the commitment we need to make. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand up? And as soon as you stand up, just step out. Let's, let's all come to the altar today and commit our all to him. Would you right now? Come on. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for being for us today. Thank you for the challenge from your word. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would all be 100% committed to you. Help us, dear Lord, to do what that old song says, surrender our all to you. I pray that our lives would be under the lordship of Jesus. I pray that we would be ministers of your grace and messengers of your love. Help us, dear Lord, to do our part to make this world a better place. Help us to be committed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated for just a moment. I've got several items I want to share with you, but the best one is at the end. So stay attuned here, okay? Don't, don't lose me. You need to hear what I'm saying at the end. Are you with me? First thing I want to do is read this uh, wonderful card that we received to our church family. Thank you for all your prayers during the loss of my father. Words cannot express what it meant to me and my family to receive hundreds of texts, Facebook messages, and calls when we suddenly lost my dad two weeks ago. Thank you for the beautiful plant in his memory. I was able to make it to North Carolina and have time alone with dad to pray with him. I believe he was waiting on me. I know we hear this all the time, but I don't know how people cope without God during times such as this. I was saved in this church in 1986. I was married in this church in 1987 and have been doing my best to serve my Savior in this church. We love you all. This is surely our church for life, Eric and Sherry Brewer. Eric, we love you, man. Praying for you. Praying for your mom, your brother, and your sister. God bless you. Um, when you leave, make sure you drop your offering in that black box. Vacation Bible School coming up the 11th through the 13th. If you notice right out here, we've got a couple of bicycles sitting out there. How many were tempted to get on one of those bikes? And That's why I told Johnny, make sure they're locked, because I don't want any adult riding up and down the hallway on those bikes. Johnny's going to give those bikes away at VBS for the boy and the girl who bring the most friends. So you might help your kid, grandkid, bring the most friends and win a bicycle. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Hey, uh, I don't ask you to pray for me a lot, but I'm asking that you pray for me this Thursday, 7 o'clock a.m. I have to be at the uh, Baptist Eye Surgery Center in Little Rock. They're going to do surgery on my right eye. Now, this used to be my good eye. I had problems in my left eye. Then this eye started having problems, and through the years, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And so Thursday, they're going to do a surgery to help either stop or correct some of the problems I'm having in my right eye. Doctor said, it ain't no big deal. And I said, well, yeah, it's not your eye you're going to be doing surgery on. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal to me. And so would you please just, just say a little word of prayer Thursday morning? I would certainly appreciate that. One last thing before you leave. Sherry, we've got that picture up here. Because how, how many of y'all know what a bomb pop is? When was the last time you had a bomb pop? How would you like a bomb pop today? Okay. I would like to tell you that I am giving you a bomb pop, but I'm not. Miss Angie is. She had the great idea, let's give out bomb pops on July 3rd. Isn't that awesome? Give Miss Angie a big hand. Can I tell you something? She loves you more than I do. I, t I tell people all the time, they would fire me. They would never fire Miss Angie. So 
When you leave the building, go by the coffee table, and there's going to be bomb pops laying on there. You can have one or two. doesn't matter. Just get you one. Here's my only request. Don't make a mess. All right? God bless you. Have a great 4th of July. We'll see you.